Telling you, bro. What's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more Peggyos. Everybody, Shane Terrio here, joining you again, and thank you for joining me on the Riff Raff. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. You're listening to a track called F Thing from my record, Still Motion. Sitting here soaking up some of this Southern California weather. Beautiful. Been out of here for a few months, checking it out. What a nice change of weather. Yeah, I just wanted to say briefly, I have a new website. I partnered up with the fine people at Reward Music. It's shaneterrio.com. Come check it out. Got a lot of great new music up there. I have a new EP download. I have um, some new instructional materials. I have some lessons. A lot of neat things. Come sign up. doesn't cost anything to sign up. Uh, if you want a little extra, I do have a Mojo VIP membership, which you can check out if you're so inclined. Anyway, let's get to today's guest. As always, hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, Shane Terrio Music. Leave me a good review on iTunes. Let's get to today's guest. Okay, we're going to do a brand new song for you right now. This will be on our next record. This one's called Bad News. Today is Scott Sherrard. Scott is a really great bluesy player, great singer, songwriter, originating from Michigan, but he's been a New Yorker for many, many years. Scott's probably best known for being a member of Greg Allman's band, and not just a side man, he wrote some songs with Greg, which we'll get into. You'll hear a few of them. And as of late, he has taken on the role of becoming a member of Little Feet. And you'll hear about that. I mean, these were both Dwayne Allman and Lil' George were like basically his heroes growing up. So it's very cool that he st- stepped into both of their shoes. Little backstory, Scott and I actually did this interview uh, probably late spring of 2020, but right when coronavirus started. But the audio was so bad, I, I couldn't actually find, you know, get myself to post it. So we redid the interview, and it's not perfect, but it's much, much better. And uh, that's why I don't like doing things remotely on Riff Rap, but to get somebody like Scott on here, that's what has to happen. And thank you again, Scott, for your patience. He's got some great stories. Great life lessons in this one. I think you'll enjoy it. So let's get started. Here we go. Scott Sherrard. Thanks for listening. Riff Raff. 
Scott, thank you for joining me once again. This is why I, I haven't done any riff rafts remote, but you know, when I want to have a guest like Scott on right now with the coronavirus limitations, this is the only way to make it happen. So unfortunately, he's my guinea pig today and we're trying this new software out, but he's a, such a sport because we did this interview months ago and I apologize. It just wasn't up to sonic standards that I like to have here on the podcast, Scott. And I thought you deserved better. Thanks for thanks for uh, giving another swing at it. You may you may hear my kids every once in a while in the background, but I'm sure everyone's used to that by now. You're from Michigan originally, right, Scott? Yeah, I was born uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then I was raised there and in Dearborn. And then uh-huh. uh, basically, the balance of my my childhood, I was raised throughout the Rust Belt. It was almost like a Rust Belt tour because I. You know, from the age of nine, I went to uh, Minneapolis, and then I went from there to uh, Newtown, Pennsylvania, and then I went from there. When I was a sophomore in high school, I went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then graduated from high school of the arts in Milwaukee. And about a year after that, I made my way to New York City. I've been here ever since. But you know, I was—I'm basically a child of the Rust Belt. But both my parents are from Michigan. Gotcha. Well, Michigan's produced a lot of great music. I mean. Well, Ann Arbor, I think of Ted Nugent, but also there's what Bob Seeger and uh, I mean, of course, the whole Detroit scene. There's a lot of great musicians come from that area. Yeah, man. It's like everything from, you know, John Lee Hooker was from Detroit. And then uh, obviously Motown is probably the greatest oh, yeah, export. Motown. Sure. And then from there, you got, uh, you know, uh, the MC5. I mean, there's an incredible, incredible music scene. I mean, I could go on all day about. And I was, you know, my, my dad uh, is a guitar player, singer, songwriter, and uh, has been, you know, in and out of the business throughout his life, mostly out of it. But um, when I was born, it kind of drove him out of it uh, for economic reasons. But um, he was really active in the music scene there from his teen years uh, all the way through his mid-20s. And uh, one of his uh, mentors was this guy, Russ Gibb, um, who's legendary in uh in the detroit music scene he had a he had a club called the grandy ballroom and uh that was like the Fillmore. he was like the he was like the bill graham of the midwest this guy russ Mm. and russ was my babysitter when i was a little kid so he would he would play me bobby bland records and stuff and uh i have have a lot of fond memories of being in michigan even though i was only there from birth until nine years of age yeah, well, that's the formative years, man. I, I remember a lot of things from early on, too. I mean, it, it, those are the things that stick with you, I think. How old were you when you when you went to New York? I, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you went with a band, right? Well, yeah. You guys I mean, all moved together? I, I went actually with my, my friend Sean Dixon, who we, we had a band uh, called the Chesterfields in Milwaukee. And, and we moved... Uh, it was the summer of 96, August 96. I was probably about 20 years old. And uh, we got a uh, we got an apartment with our friend. We got a one of the coveted, uh, you'll know about this because you, you, you did your time in New York City. We had one of the, the coveted uh, rent-controlled apartments in the East Village. Um, oh, wow. Oh, I've yeah. Heard of, I've heard of those mythical things, but they don't exist when, when I was there. They yeah, I think you, well, you probably made it there too late, but we... Trust me, we we paid for it. Uh, you know, we had some skin in the game. You know, there were a lot of people passed out with needles in their arms in the doorway, <laughs> and you know, it was it was real it was real shit. The methadone clinic was a half a block away. It was on Thirteenth Street, and First Avenue. Um, yeah, I was gonna say it's like Alphabet City ish. Yeah. around there, right? Yeah, Tompkins this Square Park. This was of sort of there. the beginning of what they used to call you know Giuliani time, which has taken on a whole new meaning today. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, this. This was just as that that whole movement to sort of Starbucksify and Gapify and Rite Aidify the city uh, mm. was just starting. So I kind of caught the very very end of the the rough you know uh, rough and tumble artistic East Village loft scene and stuff. Um, and it was great. I mean, when I moved in, I, my apartment was across the street from Allen Ginsberg's apartment, and. Um, you know, I used to go get Chinese food at at the place on the corner and see Alan and say hi to him. And for me, it was like, you know, I've been a fan of the Beatniks since I was in my early teens. And that was just unbelievable for, you know, a kid from coming from Milwaukee to living across the street from Allen Ginsberg. That was enough for me, even if I had to work a day job. 
Yeah, New York's like, uh, I, I mean, I, obviously I didn't live there as long as you, but I think I got the vibe and got into the groove after a while. And it's it struck me as being like one big neighborhood, basically. It's like a cozy neighborhood and you see your, it's like Seinfeld. You see the same people on your block, and, you know, and it's such a densely populated thing where you, yeah, you run into a lot of notables and musicians and it's uh it is a special place. No doubt. It's been, uh, it's, it's been like this forever, man. I mean, it's, uh, you know, New Orleans is like that too. I mean, Memphis, Nashville, New Orleans, LA has its own thing. Uh, New York's just another one of those. And I, and I'd argue with New York, it's probably, probably what's come on top in New York is, is really the jazz, you know, jazz and hip hop. I mean, it's kind of the, the capital of that, which are two musical genres I'm a huge fan of, but I have really no active involvement in. <laughs> so right. I, I do a lot more hanging out here, um, honestly, going to restaurants and hanging out in jazz clubs than I do actually working here, you know? Yeah. Um, most of my work is done on the road uh, outside of the studio stuff. And even the studio stuff increasingly, um, you know, I'll go to Louisiana or or especially Memphis or Nashville to do work now. And you know all about that, you know? Right. Yeah, sure. Well, I love that name, the Chesterfields. It reminds me of some like 1960s name or something. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty unusual name for a band in the, would you say, 90s or late 80s, 90s? Well, we were unusual guys. Um, <laughs> still are. Uh, no, I mean, like I used to, you know, I was into, as I said, I was into beat poetry and I was into uh all kinds of like literature and music and art. And I went to an arts high school in Milwaukee. And when I got there, it kind of just opened up the whole playing field because we had everything from sort of the best like gospel R&B musicians in the Midwest to, you know, the blues legends like Hubert Someone and Pine Top Perkins who used to hang out at this jam session that I would go to. And I ended up playing with them in a bunch of situations. Buddy Miles was another local. Um, but, you know, I used to wear gabardine shirts and smoked unfiltered cigarettes. And my, my <laughs> Chesterfield. Yeah, that was my brand was Chesterfield Kings. And, you there know, you I, I, I was the only guy with a 1965 Super Reverb and a, and a reissue 335. And everyone else had, you know, Mesa Boogie, Mesa Boogie amps and, you know, strats. And, and I was like I was like trying to hang like the old guys. So I figured, hey, at 15, I'm like, I'm just going to smoke. I'm taking the filters out. You know, I'm, I'm going to smoke Chesterfield Kings. And then <laughs> when I started my own band, when I was 16, I was offered this gig every Thursday at this amazing club called the Up and Under, which was like the salon. That's the place where all the Luther Allison and, and like I said, Hubert Pinetop used to hang out there. And that was the joint. And all the best local guys used to play there. And I got my own gig with my own band. They wanted to know what I wanted to call it. And I, I was on the phone with the, the owner and I looked down at, at my desk in my childhood bedroom and i had a pack of chesterfield kings on the table that's <laughs> that's we call the correct name <laughs> chesterfield so we called it yeah. chesterfield kings and then sean and i shortened it later uh because we found out this is very pre-internet but we found out we started having these angry guys showing up at our gigs it turns out the chesterfield kings was a uh, punk band from canada oh yeah that didn't. That sounds like a doo-wop band from Canada. It's like uh, like the scene in uh, Blues Brothers. It's like we're the good old boys. They show up and fake. <laughs> it's along those lines for sure. <laughs> Except some of these guys were skinheads, so it was a little scary when they would show up and be mad that it wasn't the Chesterfield Kings from Canada. But uh, we got through it. How did you get for? Well, before I ask you about Greg Allman. tell me something that happened when you got to New York that was sort of a game changer for you. You Somebody mean just mad or a gig or anything like that? Well, um, I can tell you, as far as like gig stuff, I mean, I, I vividly remember my first missed opportunity. Because um, when I when I got there, you know, Sean Dixon and I, you know, the drummer from the Chesterfields, uh, Sean also plays like keys and bass, and he's a great songwriter and arranger. He's worked a lot recently with Michelle and Degacello, and he's just an incredible musician, and we're still great friends. But he's he's the musician I moved to Milwaukee, from Milwaukee to New York with. And we were really struggling. And we were going to jam sessions. We were picking up gigs here and there on Bleecker Street. You know that whole scene. We were trying to work our way up to the bitter end in Terra Blues from Kenny's Castaways, if you remember that place. And uh, we were roughing it. And I got a musician heard me 
a, a great session guitar player and I'll, I'll save his name for the story, but, um, he, he heard me at a club and he said, look, I'm going to give you my card. And if I need a sub, I'll give you a call. And I was about 20. And now I went to an arts high school, but I always got away with playing by ear because I've always been able to play back whatever anyone plays to me. So I, I skimmed on the reading. And one day, uh, I'd say within weeks of him giving me that card, um, I was checking in with him. And uh, he goes, oh, yeah, I got a session tomorrow. He's like, uh, so, so you, can, you can sight read and you have like a nylon string guitar and you're going to need a, a Stratocaster. And, you're gonna, and I'm like, oh, my God, I don't have any of this stuff and I can't read. <laughs> and, and he's like, yeah, it, paid, you know, it was like it paid a lot of money at the time you know, 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever it was. I remember it was like, you know, it would have gotten close to covering my rent for the month. That mm -hmm. one session that would have probably taken two hours. Uh, and I said, I can't do it. I have, I have none of these things. And he's like, Oh man, I can't ever call you for work again. <laughs> it was, I was like, okay, now wait a second. I need to get my, my business in order. And I tell you, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me was that first experience that was one of my so first you, did you show up and just bombed or you didn't make it at all and he told you that, oh uh, no i i was straight up with him i i you know i'm a midwestern boy man i'm 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 honest to a fault um mm -hmm. you know so i i just copped right away i was like man i can't do any of that i don't have any of that gear you know at the time you know i can't read music i i can't cut it man I, i'm not going to be able to do it and i had to suck it up and you know what i did I went and took some lessons for the first time in my life, besides what I learned, you know, from my dad and on stage and in dressing rooms from great guitar players. I went and sat with Vic Juris for a couple of weeks. You remember him? Mm. Yes, I do. He was Didn't teaching he passed away recently. He last did. Year? He did. May he rest in peace. He was a great mentor to so many musicians in New York. But um, I went to the new school. I took a couple privates with him, and uh, they were expensive, but they were worth it. And he got me on that William Levitt. Uh, reading series and uh, okay Berkeley stuff yeah he got me on that and he and he, he listened to me play I'd go in and I'd play with him and he'd be like yeah your, your problem is not the playing he's like what do you want and I was like you know I really need to understand what I'm doing and uh at like the second or third lesson we got to the end and he was like all right you're, you're done save your money take these books study them you're going to be fine <laughs> that's what wow. I did I spent the next year just studying those books and I taught myself to read. I taught myself theory and, and it all worked out in the end. Oh, great. That's a great, great story. I mean, it could have went the other way. You could have showed up at the session and totally bombed and probably burned a bridge and maybe you wouldn't have got those less, you know, you, so it was very uh, smart of you at the time to have the foresight to go try to improve your, uh, your chops, you know? Well, if I only have one talent, it it's that I I really, know how to respect and listen to to my mentors and it's probably what's driven me into being a member of their bands <laughs> over and over again it's just mm -hmm. i try to i try to listen and learn as much as i can and i always try to surround myself with people who are better than me at as much as many things as possible and i and i thrive on collaboration as a result and i think if if there's one thing that that is possible to be God given that I have, it's just sometimes I get lucky and I know when to shut up and and learn the right lesson. You know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I think uh, that those opportunities, unfortunately, aren't aren't as present as they were. You know, maybe in the '80s and '90s because you know we were both lucky and it was almost like an apprenticeship. You know, like. When I started playing with the Nevilles, it was school, you know, and, and if you're lucky enough to get on a gig or, or any of the great people you played with, too, before you left um, Milwaukee and, and Michigan, I mean, that's stuff that you can't learn in a book or off of a video or something. I don't know, younger players today, I think they have a little bit more of a challenge trying to get together. Not that there's not great music being made, but it's just a different way. It's a, it, The apprenticeship thing is, is different now. Yeah. The only the only thing I would encourage, and I'm starting to see this more and more, is just, you know, pay attention to the material. You know, um, we had a really we've had a big problem with with songs. And we also have a like the, the even bigger problem is just people figuring out how to rise above 
the noise of so much content in so many genres of music without an arbiter of taste. I mean, the music industry without Atlantic Records and Warner Brothers Records in the 60s and 70s, I mean, it's a, it's a huge loss for bands that have talent that they don't get to partake in a, you know, in, in this sort of uh, this system where there's an arbiter of culture and, uh, you know, the masses pay attention because of that. Now it's like the masses have too much of everything. And, yeah, uh, there's no quality control anywhere. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a subjective thing. I know it, it's it's a matter of taste, but you know, everything is out all at one time now. <laughs> I think music's yeah. I think music's really really exciting right now. It just doesn't, um, you know, I'm 43 years old and it just doesn't touch me as much as I respect it, as much as I enjoy it. Um, it I haven't really. I mean, there are some artists out there who absolutely blow me away but unfortunately most of them you know nobody knows knows who they are especially in america um right you know there's guys out like my favorite guitar players out there who who no one knows about i mean or or should is like you know dan littleton my friend here in woodstock i mean he's just Mm. he's just the most soulful unbelievable beautiful individual voice and he plays with amy helm he's on her records and she's she's a good friend and and sometimes collaborator and so is Dan. I mean, they're both on my new record that I'm working on. But I mean, that guy, another guy is Jeffrey Lockhart. You know this cat? I don't know. Oh my God, man. He teaches at Berkeley, but like, this is one of the most tasteful, incredible, funky, like just tone. He's just got it all. I mean, it's like this, this cat is just off the charts. Another one is Garrett Mason. He's up in Canada. You know, he's like in Fredericton, mm-hmm. New Brunswick. And Garrett's one of the most blues playing cats out there. Like his, mm. his dad's a famous, uh, he passed away, his father passed away, but his father is a famous uh, blues musician, harmonica player, singer from Canada named Dutchie Mason. And he passed away a number of years ago, but I did that Harvest Jazz and Blues Festival with my band a couple times. And each time I've been on there with, with Garrett and uh, he blows me away every time. But I mean, those, you know, those are just a couple examples of, you know, people who your listeners may not be familiar with, but it's like, when I hear those guys play, I'm listening like Mm. huge ears. Like I, and I, and I've gotten to, I haven't gotten to play with, I'm excited. And then I, I love these Canadians, man. It's like Ariel Posen and Joey Landreth. I mean, these guys are, they're incredible. Jeff Healy. Healy's, you know, he's, well, he's one of the dons of that, you know, scene. I mean, Neil Young, you know, I mean, there's. He was such a great player, Jeff Healy. Yeah, he was, I saw him live when I was a kid, actually. I I couldn't get over the fact of how he was playing the guitar. It made no sense to me. Yeah, yeah. There's another, well, since we're talking about the friendly Canadians, I have a lot of Canadian friends. There's a, you know, that Katie Lang record, uh, Ingenue. There's um, Ben Mink, who, like, I don't know much about him, I don't, but, man, the production on that record alone is is just phenomenal. You know, he plays all these different instruments, so I don't know. I'd like to meet him sometime. I mean, I have a cursory knowledge of their uh, their scene up there, and it's, it, is, it is somewhat state-sponsored, and uh, they're just incredibly um, – they have a music community. You know, we're, we're so fractured here in the U.S., you know. Um, we're playing by so many rules that don't exist anymore uh, in every aspect of being musicians in the United States. It's just, it's just insane. Kind of like a lot of things that we do here. <laughs> you know, we're playing with an old rule book. <laughs> right. I don't know what, I don't even know. I didn't even know those rules. So I don't even know what's going on. Anymore. <laughs> well, the, the good news is you used to not have to know them because there was always someone who'd show up and take care of all that stuff for you. But now everything's our problem, you know?
from um, getting lessons from Vic Juris and getting your 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 uh, your crap together and your your equipment and your tone and all. I'm sure you already had it together, but you know, really bumping it up to the next level to to Greg Allman. Well, yeah, I mean, look, my my two the two my my Beatles and Rolling Stones. Okay, as much as I love and adore the Beatles and Rolling Stones. But my personal Beatles and Rolling Stones were the Allman Brothers and Little Feet from when mm-hmm. I was like eight years old. So my life's journey has been leading up to these gigs. And I, I don't know how this all happened. <laughs> I, I never expected to you know, become part of these families, both these families, but it is what has come to pass. And... Um, you know, in particular, my connection as a very young kid, like I said, at eight or nine years old, hearing those records, hearing Waiting for Columbus in particular, and the first two Allman Brothers studio albums in particular, um, you know, my heroes immediately became Greg Allman, Dwayne Allman, and Lil George in particular, because right. as a singer and guitar player already at that young age, and seeing my father as a singer guitar player and being raised around musicians, it became abundantly clear to me immediately that these guys were like me. They were middle-class white kids who fell in love with the blues, but they were also seeing foreign films and reading these novels and hanging out with all kinds of people and going to juke joints and doing all kinds of different shit that just deepened their knowledge and experience as human beings. And, And their forms of rock and roll became kind of a salon of experience and curation and you know on a cellular level that all hit me right away because i was you know by the time i was 10 and i was playing guitar i had a poster of chuck berry on my wall and i was reading mad magazine and that music was like the perfect soundtrack to all that you know it's like it 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 just it all fit my lifestyle and my beliefs and you know i could hear coltrane i could hear muddy waters i could hear chuck berry i could hear hank williams It was all in the mix. Right. So I went on a lot of different side trips in my life um, with music, especially, you know, with with the local guys in Milwaukee who were real blues men from the South. Another guy was a guy named Stokes who passed away uh, last year, who was my main mentor. And I used to I would do anything for Stokes. I, I, you know, I used to play drums in his band. I'd played bass in his band. I played guitar and sang with him. But I was literally like a. I was like a, a chef in the South of France trying to stage and I would clean the damn gutters for this guy if I had to. Um, so all that led up to me meeting Greg and the sort of in between, I call them my lost years from the age of like 20 to 30, right? My twenties were basically spent trying to get into a record business that didn't exist anymore. And I was mentored by Ahmed Erdogan. Um, I was entertained by Russ Teitelman and a bunch of, you know, heroes of mine on the production and music side of the business, but they never led to any financial deals. And when I was 30, I'd been doing this regular gig with my good friend, Jay Collins in his band all around New York in those clubs, you know, like 55 bar, little places, smalls playing in his band, which was like a mix of blues and rock and jazz. And he kept telling me he'd been playing with Greg Allman for a long time. And he said, I got to get you in Greg's band. And man, it went on for years. He said this to me. So probably when I was about 28, he started saying this to me. When I was 30, one day he called me and he goes, hey, man, I'm taking you to Camden, New Jersey. The Allman Brothers are playing there and uh, you're going to sit in and this is your audition. I said, oh, it's finally really happening. And I went, I met Greg and went straight to his dressing room. And right away, you know, he flipped around, stuck his hand out. And he's like, Scotty, it's such a pleasure to meet you, man. You know, need anything to drink? You know, it's just total Southern hospitality right off the bat, as you would expect. And then he goes, um, listen, man, you got to tell me one thing. Do you know all those Wayne Bennett licks on those Bobby Bland records? And that was the moment where my, my childhood experience kind of came into play because I knew everything on those Bobby Bland records um, from playing with Harvey Scales and, and, and Willie Higgins and Stokes and those guys. I mean, they, they, they used to beat me up to, to learn how to play like Wayne did on Stormy Monday where you're playing off the voice. And you have that call and response, that style, that Memphis blues style from the 50s and 60s, you know? Right. So when we got on stage to jam, I started, I started throwing some of that at him. 
And he started laughing and slapping his leg. And we walked off the stage and he's like, you got the gig, bro. Let's do this. And that was it. And we were off and running. That was like summer of 2008. And then, and then uh, eventually I became his MD and we wrote a few songs together. And one of them did really well. I uh, made a couple records. Um, we had a hell of a run. And then he passed away in 2017. But um, Okay, so you were with him for... What is that? That's almost uh, a decade, about nine years. Almost a decade, yeah, nine years. Yeah. 2008, 2017, yeah. We had a hell of a time, man. <laughs> Why don't you tell the story? I, I remember now the last uh, failed interview we did. Tell the story about uh, playing Dwayne's guitar. Well, I've gotten to play it on several occasions, but the the... Yeah, the first the first occasion was 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 definitely the most uh, the most dramatic event for me. Um, we were in Macon, Georgia, with Greg Allman Band, and and this was uh, again pretty early in my tenure in the band. Within it was probably like 2011, I want to say. So it's right, you know, it was right before I I started becoming the music director, and we started hanging all the time. So I was still a little nervous about my relationship uh, with Greg as you know, quote unquote, my boss. Um, but, you know, even that said, I mean, he was the easiest guy to hang out with. But there were certain subjects where you were just careful. And obviously his brother was one of them because his brother always hung over over the project because um, his brother was, you know, his greatest inspiration and kind of his father figure. And uh, he would talk about him all the time. And obviously his brother's guitar, Dwayne Allman's first uh, Les Paul, which is a, a gold top Les Paul, I think it's 57, uh, used to, it used to live at the Big House Museum in uh, Macon, Georgia. It's no longer there. That's a, another story. But um, it was there at the time in 2011, and we were there doing a week of shows in Macon, Georgia at the Opera House. So Greg Allman's best friend, Chank Middleton, um, who's literally been with Greg since the first Allman Brothers rehearsal, which was in the basement of the barber shop where Chank was cutting hair. Um, wow. yeah, that's, that's how deep Chank is in the history. And Chank, Chank, that's a great name. Chank was, Chank is the most unbelievable cat, man. Like I'm still, we've been in touch all throughout this year and, um, I, I go see him at least once a year. He's just, I called him the spirit animal of the Greg Allman band. He just mm. embodied so much knowledge and love and soul as a human being and, and just made going to work great every day. And Chank was there every day. And uh, one day Chank said to me while we were in Macon, I think we played one show and he said to me the next day, he's like, I, I told him I went to the big house and played the guitar and I, I was absolutely blown away by the instrument. And I, I told him and he goes, he goes, yeah, man, you should play that, that guitar in the gig tonight. And I said, well, Chank, you know, I've heard that Greg doesn't really like people playing his brother's guitars at this point. He has mixed emotions about it. He feels like too many people play it. I don't want to ask him. And Chank says, listen, bro. He goes, Dwayne was my friend before Greg was. And he goes, I'm going to tell Greg that you should be playing that guitar. <laughs> I said, I said, all right. I said, look, Chank, if you're offering to step up for me, um, if anyone's going to talk to Greg, real talk, it's you. So, uh, I'm going to step back and, and, and thank you for having that conversation. And he did. And uh, not only that, but he got Greg on the phone uh, later that day. And Greg's like, man, I didn't know you wanted to play my brother's guitar. You should have just asked me. I'll let you play it any time. So then they brought it to the gig. And, and I was every time I played that guitar with Greg, I was ultra respectful of its provenance. And, you know, we never would announce that it was coming on stage or anything. It's just... I was very cool about it, and I would pick certain songs. If we played Dreams or Whipping Post or Trouble No More, there were certain songs where I was like, all right, I'd tell you know one of our stage techs, like, bring the gold tap out on, on, on these songs. And then they'd bring it out, and I'd play it. And the first time I did was, I'll never forget it. It was on Trouble No More. And, uh, and man, Greg sang that first line, and I answered it with the slide, and I just, it was like someone put a, a uh, uh, shock right up my spine. Wow. It was like I was, you know, 12 years old in my bedroom listening to that record. And there was that, there was that sound, that bridge pickup with that glass slide on it. You know, there, there it was with that voice. Do you have the chorus? Oh bottle? yeah, man. I got, I got real ones. I was, <laughs> I was ready. 
Yeah. You know, I, I was I was always thinking about that that teenage kid in the crowd because I was that kid, you know. Who's this motherfucker trying to play with Greg Allman? That was that was how I always approached the gig, you know. I, I took it yeah. dead I took I I still do take it dead serious that I was even part of that because that's the only way you can play that music is is like it's the only thing that matters on earth when you're doing it. Because I'm I'm sure you're you know, everybody is standing there with arms crossed, just checking you out. As as they show. should be. My my attitude was yeah. always as they should be. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been writing songs since I was a kid, and um, Greg kind of he he got he got a hold of some of my records. He actually asked me one day, uh, "Hey, man, can you put can you put your uh, your solo albums on my phone?" Because somebody had played him a couple things that he liked, and uh, he had a new iPhone, and he had me hook it up to his laptop, and I did it. He didn't have any other music in there, so I just put all my music in there. I synced it with the phone. I handed it back to him. Well. Like a month later, we were like, we did a tour. We went on the road and we went home a month or so later. We're back on the road. And one day Chank comes to get me at a venue and he goes, Scott, you got to come to Greg's dressing room. And I'm getting all nervous. Like, oh shoot, what is, what does Greg want? <laughs> and I get in the dressing room and he goes, he's playing one of my records really loud. And he goes, he goes, man, he goes, is that you singing? I said, yeah, that's it's my record. He's like, God damn it. You're never singing in my band. I said, I said, I said, I'm sorry, Greg, you don't like it. He's like, he's like, man, you sing your goddamn ass off. I'm not letting you sing on my stage. Anyway, he was, he was kidding me, but he goes, man, I love this song. And then he picks up his guitar and he'd start figuring out some of my songs. Oh, nice. And I said, son of a bitch. Just, I never imagined this happening. Um, and then uh, I looked at his phone and I, I go, Greg, what, what have you been listening? You've been listening to a lot of music. He goes, yeah, man, check this song out. And uh, he hits it, and none of these things had IDs, right? Just said track one, track two, whatever. Well, it turns out he was listening to all my records. He thought they were different records. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, we, we, we heard music in a similar way is what I'm trying to say. And, and we, heard, we heard things, you know, we, we had a lot of the same influences, and it kind of opened up the floor. And once that was opened up, he was like, man, we should try to write some stuff together and he told me first, I want to sing some of your songs. The first song, which is a longer story, but Love Like Kerosene, which we ended up recording not once but twice, uh, was, an, was an older song of mine that he, he picked up off one of my records. There was another one of mine called Endless Road that he worked on for a while. And then in the process of him learning those, I just kept flying down to his house in Savannah, Georgia, and we started writing. We wrote a blues song called Everything a Good Man Needs that I ended up actually recording on my last record with Taj Mahal. Um, oh wow! Yeah, that's that was a fun track. So that's on that's on my record, Saving Grace. I gotta put that on here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was fun. And Bernard Purdy's playing drums on that as well. I don't need no invitation. I know where I belong. Confirmation. I've been knowing you much too long. Your love is like no other. It sure enough satisfies me.
What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. But uh, my only true friend was the was the only song that we finished writing together that Greg actually sang on a record. Um. Well, we, he sang Kerosene, of course, but we didn't write that together. So our only collaboration that he sang on a record was was True Friend. And gotcha. that, that one went on to get nominated for a Americana Grammy. And uh, we lost it to the best the best guy I know, Jason Isbell. So I, I, I've never been happier for a loss, to be honest. <laughs> well, just to get nominated is still a big deal. Uh, I, I agree. And, and, and I, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, really, I, I'm so... I'm so blown away by that, the, my only true friend, that song by like the process, like the inspiration I had for it. And then where Greg ended up taking it and the fact that now people play that song. I mean, I get messages all the time where people are playing that song at, at funerals and memorials. Mm. and it, It's become this like sort of, you know, this, this song of a really like, I don't know if there's a as melancholy and mourning, but also like there's there's a hope and redemption that Greg put in it with his vocal and the place he was at in life. Um, the just that performance that he has, which was one take with the band on the floor, um, it just it's still I can't listen to it. Uh, it's it cuts too close, but I do play and sing the song regularly with my band if nothing else just because i feel like i'm probably the only other guy who can actually play it with the sense of place uh that's that's left as of now um we'll see if that song gets reinvented in future generations and if it has legs but um i'm really proud of it you and i both know this river will surely flow to an can't tell you how much i love the guy i i i think about him every day and uh yeah. and our band is our band the greg allman band is really close man i mean he he made a family it's i call it my new york memphis family because half the band was from memphis and half the band was from new york <laughs> oh that's great yeah <laughs> well now you're now you're a member of uh little feet and uh it's amazing those guys are still 
touring. I mean, well, Paul, we lost Paul and, and Richie, who I knew really well. Richie actually played on one of my solo records. And um, Kenny Gradney, I, I actually just had Thanksgiving dinner with him three days ago because he's a, he's my uh, really close friends here, uh, producer friend of mine. It's his golf buddy. They're like, they play golf like every two days. And he loves <laughs> so, his golf, man. I see Kenny all the time. Yeah. And um, I knew those guys back from 20 years ago, Neville Brothers. And what a great group of guys, man. I mean, Tackett. And so I'm so happy that you uh, you joined up with them. And hopefully 2021 will present more opportunities, man. This year's just been kind of sucks for timing for you. But, you know, there's always next year. Hopefully you got some things on the books. Or, yeah, I, I mean, know said there was a lot of stuff that was supposed to happen this year. I mean, for for both my solo band and Little Feet, I mean, I had just gotten my first major booking agent for my band in March of 2020 of all times. How about that for time? <laughs> um, and um, and and that agency is now furloughed until further notice. So uh, there you go. Uh, with Little Feet, we were planning a really busy year, but you know. It's really interesting what this year has given the Little Feet camp because um, my friend Tony Leone has joined the band now on drums and from Chris Robinson's Brotherhood and uh, he was with Ola Bell with Amy Helm. And I think you're going to see um, a very interesting sort of evolution of the band come to pass because we've been recording all year and writing. And I tell you mm-hmm. what, man, Bill is writing some great stuff. I've been writing a bunch of stuff. Bill and Tony are even working on a song. Um, Fred and I are working on a thing right now. Uh, I think, you know, once we all get back together, which, you know, God willing, we're hoping for the spring right now. And mm-hmm. we definitely have a record in the chamber. I mean, it's it's coming together. I'd say we're about halfway there material-wise. Mm-hmm. Um so great. yeah, I'm really I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I mean, the guys are um I tell you man, I mean, they're not spring chickens, but they're in great fucking shape and they're playing the best I've ever heard them play. Yeah. I played several gigs with them before the shit hit the fan. Um, you know, and they were kicking my ass, man. You know, they're they're not fucking around. I mean, little feet, you know, as your listeners will know, who are familiar and if you're not, get hip because some people aren't, but I mean, Little Feet is all about elite musicianship. Um, oh, yeah. It doesn't yeah. get any more elite than rock and roll. I mean, they're right in there with Led Zeppelin and uh, and the Allman Brothers and all those bands that we know so well for being the best musicians and making classic songs and, and records. I mean, having the whole enchilada, I mean, they're one of those bands. Right. I'm sure you're hip to who Ted Templeman is. I'm sure you are. Um, I just read the book that he wrote. Ted Templeman was a for for the listeners he was a producer for warner brothers and he um i mean he he his big claim to fame is he produced all the van halen records with david lee roth but uh he also produced a few little feet records all the doobie brothers the big big huge records he was just a phenomenal producer and he has a book out and there's many chapters devoted to little feed and little george stories and i was actually asking kenny about it and uh you know, he was interested because he didn't know about the book, but um, some great stories in there. Yeah, I told I read that book earlier this year, and I told Bill Payne about it. He was excited to read it because you know, Bill was the Bill was the session uh, piano sure. player on on a lot of the, on the Doob, all the Doobie Brothers stuff, most yep. of it anyway, and uh, a lot of Ted's projects. Bill was the first call. Uh, Linda Ronstadt, a bunch of stuff, um, and uh, he has great things to say. They, everyone has great things to say about Ted. I mean, that's. Well, you know, we're back to how we started our conversation. I mean, that that scene, as you read in the Templeman book at Warner Brothers under Mo Austin, was was a real salon of talent. I mean, that's like some Gertrude Stein rock and roll shit right there. I mean, yeah. go make your music, fellas. We'll take care of the rest. You know, that's yeah. and when anybody wants to know, you know, when people ask, like, why isn't there a Sgt. Peppers anymore or or, uh, you know, any of these kind of records? Well, it's like, you know, or Dark Side of the Moon or I mean you know, it takes a year or two to make one of those, (laughs) you know, and now it's like, you got to make a record, you know, either in your bedroom for two years where you can't do anything that those things afford, or you got to make it in two days in one of those studios, you know? 
you keep a pretty busy schedule. I mean, what are you doing this year? You know, you were doing teaching. You're doing a lot of teaching too. If somebody wants to hit you up for lessons, do you do that like Skype or something? Man, I've been, I've been teaching on and off for 20 years, you know, and uh, particularly already in the last few years, I was doing uh, Zoom or, you know, Skype, whatever application, but I was doing online lessons and I really got inspired by the True Fire company because I've done next year, I'm going to start my fourth video series with them. And I have a channel <laughs> with them that people subscribe to. Um, and they kind of, you know, kickstarted me back into it a couple years ago. And honestly, in 2020, I was going to be on the road and producing records and working on records so much that I was not going to have any time to teach. And then when this happened in March with COVID, I just turned to my team who I work with for promoting my stuff online. And I said, look, you know, either we're all, you know, either we're all going off the payroll and uh, going on unemployment, or I've got to teach every week because <laughs> there aren't going to be any gigs till any foreseeable future. And lucky for me, you know, I work with some really talented people at true fire. And also, you know, my, my friend Katie Sexton who handles all my social media and we just went in head first and I've been teaching, you know, over 20 hours a week, every week since March. And it's wow. 20 hours a week. That's it's a kept, lot of students. It's kept my, wow. I tell you what, man, I've got two, I've got two little kids and, uh, it's kept everything going here. I mean, it's, That's it's great. been a really decent year and I, we've done some gigs. I did a whole online, uh, concert series, solo acoustic over the summer that did very well. My fans were very generous. Um, and then we did several gigs with my band in the tri-state area, in the New York area, in sort of August, September, October, when the weather was better. And they were also phenomenal. I mean, they were all socially distanced, and they were difficult to pull off, and they were all outside. But they mm -hmm. did great. They did great financially. Um, people showed up. They respected the rules. But now, you know, we're going back into um, – not lockdown, but we're, we're in New York is we've had a lot of stumbling blocks, but we're in kind of, I would call it a, a somewhat a flawed enlightened state of mitigation. <laughs> so we're, mm. we're kind of, cause I just found out schools are opening full time next week. Um, which, you know, they're making some decisions based on science, which I think is prudent, but I think the decisions based on economics have been entirely lacking here and the music industry has been, a victim of that, um, especially when the weather was warmer, I think we got screwed um, because, you know, the outdoor stuff could have been much more robust, um, but the science hadn't caught up yet. So you have to be, you know, you have to be cautious with all this stuff because especially my fans, you know, I don't want them getting this, um, you know, the, it's just, it, you got to be really careful. But it's been a, a good year nonetheless uh, with the teaching. So um, yeah, and I'm still doing it now. And I teach, I don't just teach guitar. I teach songwriting. I teach voice. Um, mm -hmm. I take them all equally seriously, you know. How many records do you have, Scott, total uh, solo records? Well, I don't have any that have made any money. <laughs> And I don't, yeah. I don't have any that probably anybody owns, <laughs> but I've, I'm working on my sixth solo album now. Um, but I, I've, uh, and the new one, you know, I guess everyone says this about their new one, but I really do feel like it's the best collection of songs I've, I've ever gotten together. And, and I've gotten to use my road band on it, Eric Kalb on drums and Brett Bass on bass, who you may know those guys from New York. I love, I love Eric, but so I, I got to, they've been, we've been a band for a few years now and I got to use them on the record. My friend Craig Dreyer joined the band last year. He plays B3 organ and he also plays the hell out of the saxophone, man. Um, so that's been my little four piece band. So we've been, uh, I've used them on my records. My first time I've ever used, one of my road bands on a record of my own. Um, in the past, I've either played all the instruments or I've used incredible session musicians. Like my last album, Saving Grace, uh, that came out in 2018, half the record was uh, David Hood and Spooner Oldham um, with, uh, with Chad Gamble on drums from Isbell's band. And then the other half was the actual high rhythm section with the Hodges nice. brothers and Howard Grimes. So oh, wow. I've been really lucky. And then Charlie Drayton and Sean Pelton have 
done a lot of my drum tracks. Actually, Charlie, I, I, I always try to work with Charlie whenever I can. I got Charlie Drayton on this record we're doing. He came in and did one song. Um, he still got that big car. No, man, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's a dad now, you know, he's very practical. You know, he's got, Oh, okay. I haven't seen him in, it's been three, four years. I don't really know him that well, but uh, yeah, he's got, he's got a child man in the, in the New York city school system. And he's, he's living up in Riverdale and he's still one of the most profoundly talented musicians I've ever known, man. I I don't, I don't know anybody um, who can play a song better than Charlie Drayton. Even if you hand him a fucking cardboard box with a, with a wire on it. Yeah. I mean, that guy is just, that guy exudes music. And when you're on a session date with him and he's at his apex, which I've been lucky to have on some of my records over the years, and I've been working with him on and off for over 20 years. It's so inspiring, man. You walk away from that session, just learning so much. It goes back to what I was talking about, you know, earlier in the conversation, I've just been really, really, really lucky to work with these musicians, man. And I try in every second to not take it for granted and just enjoy it and learn from it. It's such an incredible experience, you know? thank you for uh for doing this again yet again i believe the saying is second time's a charm or if it's not i just made that up <laughs> i mean whatever these days whatever works man whatever gets you through the night you know <laughs> yeah i downloaded a brand new uh podcast thing software just to check this out so my manager is always telling me you know you really need to uh to get some software uh podcast software you know and start doing this remotely i was like man i hate doing it remotely i i don't like doing these episodes because if i was sitting with you right now we'd be jamming and it'd be so much more fun but that's just the way it is you know boy man maybe we could do a part two and do a little jam when i'm when we meet yeah, up in one of these places absolutely. you know yeah there's a yeah i'm being optimistic but thank you uh thanks again scott for this and um everybody check out scott and I'm sure your website, I'll put all those links on there like I always do. Thanks for doing this show and thanks for having me, man. I'm a big fan of the show. I just listened to the G. Smith one uh, like a month or two ago and I loved it, man. You just like, that's that was such a great interview with him. It was so, it was so spot on and I learned so much I didn't know about him already. It was really cool. Yeah. I did too, actually. I, uh, you know, I feel like, a, well, standing in his shoes, I, there's a lot I wanted to know about him. Um, no, it was so yeah, great it, to hear it, you it, guys it, talk, man. It was fucking, it was a great episode. Oh, thanks, man. He's a good dude. Yeah. All right, Scott. Well, I guess I'll, uh, we'll see each other. Hopefully our paths cross in 2021. Yeah, man. Good luck out there with the lockdown. I don't, I don't know what's going on with that, but, uh, you know, I'm pulling for you guys. Yeah, thanks. Man. I hope you can at least still go go get a good taco still. Oh, you can do that. Okay, good. Yeah. We'll have one yeah. for me, man. Maybe we'll do that <laughs> okay. together one day. All right, bro. All right, bro. Take care. All right, there you have it. If you're still here, thanks for listening, hanging in there. What a great interview. Scott, thanks again. Check him out, everybody. ScottSherrard.com. Last name is S-H-A-R-R-A-R-D. And uh, look for him hopefully in later this year if Little Feet goes out. Or check out his solo band, Solo Records. And catch you next time on The Riff Rap. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.